I'm Michael Klein, Executive Editor of Econofact, a nonpartisan web-based publication of the Fletcher School at Tufts University. At Econofact, we bring key facts and incisive analysis to the national debate on economic and social policies, publishing work from leading economists across the country. You can learn more about us and see our work at www.econofact.org. There's a long history of immigration being a hot-button issue in America. The Know-Nothing Party in the mid-19th century opposed immigration from Ireland. The 1924 Immigration Act severely limited opportunities to move to the United States from Southern and Eastern Europe, and especially from Asia. The most basic purpose of that act was, according to the Office of the Historian of the Department of State, to preserve the ideal of U.S. homogeneity. There are echoes of that in today's debate. The Trump administration put in place policies, mostly by executive actions, that made legal immigration more difficult, and many of these actions have not been reversed by the Biden administration. There are a range of national implications of these policies. One of the most important of these is the effect on the United States labor force. The labor force participation rate fell dramatically with the onset of the COVID pandemic, and it remains at its lowest point in more than four decades. Could greater immigration help alleviate labor market shortages? If so, in what industries would they be most helpful? Or would immigrants take jobs from native-born Americans or force down wages? To answer these questions, I'm very happy to welcome back to Econofact Chats, Professor Giovanni Perry of the University of California at Davis. Giovanni is the founding director of the UC Davis Global Migration Center. He has widely published on the economic effects of immigration, including, I'm pleased to say, a number of Econofact memos that have garnered wide attention. Giovanni, welcome back to Econofact Chats. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Giovanni, since we'll be focusing on the economic side of immigration, let's start off with some basic numbers. How important was immigration for population growth in the United States up until 2017? And what's happened since then? So first, to put things in a broader context, uh, let me say that the natural growth of population for the U.S. has been around 0.5 per year since COVID. And this is a number that has declined since early 2000s, when it was around 1%. As to immigration contribution to population growth, we can distinguish three recent periods. First, the period 2007-2017 in which the foreign-born population grew by about 1.5% per year, which counted about 1.2 million net new immigrants per year. This number dropped to only 0.45% in 2018 and 2019, and then in 2020 was even smaller, close to zero, in fact. Giovanni, what was the source of the decline in immigration? In the January 2017, December 2021 period, 
a series of executive order, more than 470 of them, in fact, were really uh, aimed at uh, transforming and constraining the U.S. immigration system. Uh, this action ranged very broadly from increasing enforcement to temporarily freezing refugee admission and progressively moving away from family immigration and family reunification. Uh, following these immigration policies, uh, the immigration, the international migration fell significantly. In fact, between 2016 and 2019, uh, the number of new permanent residents to the U.S. dropped by 13%, and the number of students who arrived on F1 visa declined by 23%. Then in the first COVID year, 2020, limitation to international travel and closure of offices essentially brought international migration to a halt. Has immigration picked up since then? Um, yes, immigration uh, has increased in 2021, and then it, has a, it had a substantial rebound in 2022. In fact, in 2021, for the first time, immigration has accounted for more than the natural increase of the U.S. population growth uh, due to the decline uh, in the natural growth because of COVID. And in 2022, the foreign-born population increased by a net of about 1.2 million people. The rebounds in 2021 and 2022 were in part the accumulation of a backlog from 2020 uh, due to delay and slow processing. And then in part were also effect of the removal of some enforcement and some executive policies by the Biden administration. We have a memo by Melissa Kearney of the University of Maryland that talks about the falling birth rate in the United States, and you cite that in your answer to that last question. Giovanni, much of the focus is on the southern border. What's been happening there? So in uh, the southern border, uh, the, maybe many people didn't re don't realize, but Mexicans do not really migrate to the U.S. any longer. Uh, immigration from Mexico has been declining for uh, a full decade. Uh, in fact, uh, um, in the recent migration has mainly been from Central American countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And uh, this uh, group of migrants uh, have increased their flow to the U.S. due to more networks of previous migrant and push factors, uh, violence uh, and poor economic condition at origin. Uh, plus, uh, some crisis refugees have been adding themselves, like Venezuelan and Haitian uh, living countries in very dire economic condition. And uh, there have been some hope uh, generated by the Biden administration to consider some of these people potentially for asylum. Uh, in reality, not very many qualify for asylum, and many of them don't really have a title to enter the U.S., and so really what we're observing is an accumulation of them at the border with the U.S. So we've been talking about overall immigration. What about the inflow of workers from abroad, immigrants of working age? So the newsletter from the San Francisco Fed that you cited before by Duzak uh, show that there was a significant pickup in immigration flows uh, in the 2022 uh, year. Foreign-born in working age population, however, 
uh, have declined significantly in the 2020 and 2021 period. So this rebound is from those lower levels. Uh, this is important because the natural growth of the population uh, in the U.S. because of uh, retirement of baby boomers in particular and smaller, younger cohort will continue to grow slowly and eventually decline. Uh, currently, there are about 37 million of foreign born in working age uh, in the U.S. and they are about 18% of the population in working age. But these uh, demographic tendencies in the long run, the decline of the U.S. labor force will continue. And in this context, immigration could have a beneficial effect. It could slow the increase in dependency ratio, which is the increase of retiree relative to working people, and can really help filling some jobs that Americans will not do, do not do any longer. At the same time, the same demographic trend is also happening in Mexico and Latin America. They are also population which are slowing their growth and their aging. And so one question is really uh, what country will be the country of origin of immigrants who maybe will replace uh, the Mexican migration in some of these jobs? A lot of the part of the world where demographics are still fast growing, like North Africa and Middle East, are closer to Europe, and a lot of those migrants will really go to Europe. There are a lot of migrants from India and China and Asia into the U.S., but those are mostly the highly educated immigrants. In the debate on immigration, there's a focus on the effects of low-skilled immigrants in the economy. But what proportion of foreign-born workers are low-skilled? So this is important. Among immigrants who arrived in the last decade, almost half of them were college educated in the U.S. So the population of recently arrived immigrants, immigrants in the last 10 years, has had a percent of highly skilled college educated, which is significantly larger than the percentage of college educated in the U.S., which is only around 30 percent. Uh, this group also has been made of uh, um, large part uh, Asian uh, countries of origin, India and China. And these are people who have arrived on H-1B visa for skilled and professional worker, student visa and uh, employment visa. Already before Trump, before the 2017 period, immigration to the U.S. was significantly biased toward high skilled immigrants. So the memo that I talked about earlier by you and Reem Zayor has gotten a lot of attention and picked up in a number of different outlets. And in that research that you did originally for Econofact, you showed a link between a shortfall in immigration and unfilled jobs sector by sector. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. In the first year, year and a half uh, since March 2020, after COVID, uh, we estimated in that paper that uh, there was about a 2 million gap in foreign born in working age arriving in the U.S. relative to the pre-2019 trend, relative to how many we would have had if we had continued on that trend. So this, uh, we also showed, uh, was had likely affected substantially some sector that employed a large share of immigrants, like agriculture, hospitality, some personal services. 
Uh, in this uh, recent uh, newsletter from the San Francisco Fed by Duzak, um, they also look at these uh, uh, shortages of immigrants and they show that uh, in the uh, post-2021 period there was a rebound. Plus, they show that immigrant inflow is associated to the vacancy to unemployment ratio across states in the U.S., meaning new arriving immigrants reduce the vacancies, the number of jobs open per unemployed, because they can actually fill some of these uh, vacancies. Immigrants have been very important to fill these vacancies in the 2021-2022 period, but we're not filling them at all in the 2020. And that was the initial shortage that uh, we had pointed out in this paper with Rinza Yur. So you talk about vacancies. What types of jobs will have the highest rates of vacancies in the future? And can immigrants fill these positions? So a big group will be those jobs that need to be done in place, uh, like restaurant type of job, um, care of the house, personal care. Uh, this job with the aging of the American population will increase. The demand for this job will increase. Um, another category of job are health and child care type of jobs. Immigrants typically have filled a very large share of these uh, jobs and uh, are there projected shortages. Technology could be a margin of adjustment uh, to supply uh, labor in a sense. So possibly robots will do some of these jobs, but uh, certainly um, the technology is not quite there yet and robots will not slow down the aging of the population nor balance the age composition of the labor force. Another sector where um, there will be continued need for immigrants is the STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, where new ideas are created and the inflow of new people um, like immigrants has in the past generated uh, this uh, uh, level of innovation we have in the U.S. In this job, maybe um, some transformation also are happening, but there will certainly be need for immigrants as well. You mentioned technology in, in the Counterfact Chats podcast that we just did with Lant Pritchett. He talked about the introduction of technology as a result of um, reducing immigration, because there are actually, as Lant puts it, lots of truck drivers all across the world who'd be happy to come to the United States and work for higher wages, but instead we have self-driving trucks or the prospect of self-driving trucks. So the technology is not itself something that just happens. It's actually a response to policies and to market conditions. Another interesting um, change, especially since COVID, is remote work. How will remote work change the need for immigrant labor? Remote work will, uh, and he's having a big impact on many parts of the economy. Um, however, some of the sectors that we discuss uh, where immigrants are very prevalent uh, are also those sectors where uh, remote work uh, has been and is still quite hard. Uh, if you think about uh, in-person, 
manual physical type of services uh, such as uh, serving food, cleaning a house, uh, cleaning structures, uh, um, assisting people, assisting children. Uh, those are relatively hard uh, to be replaced by uh, remote work. And as I said, uh, the increase in age of the population also will bring an increase in demand for these uh, um, uh, services. Technology can help, remote work can help in some area, but in this area seems to be a little farther and uh, um, maybe uh, they will be less affected. Uh, the other jobs, on the other hand, uh, the high-tech, science, technology, engineering, math type of jobs, uh, which uh, um, immigrants uh, have been uh, filling, uh, those are clearly strongly affected by remote work, and many of them are increasingly done in remote. In fact, some urban economists are studying the urban structure in the U.S., and they are noticing that after COVID, a lot of downtowns, which had a lot of these tech, high-tech jobs, are being depopulated. San Francisco is a prominent example. And some of the connected services which were linked to this type of job that now are doing remotely, also they may have uh, become less concentrated in city and more dispersed. And so in that respect, both the geography within the U.S. and the dispersion of immigrant and services attached to these uh, office services can be changing because of remote work. We have a couple of recent podcasts about remote work. Matt Kahn did one, and he made the same point as you. And then uh, a little bit earlier, we had one by Nick Bloom at Stanford. He also made the same point, what they call the donut effect, where sort of there's this hollowing out of the center cities. Giovanni, what about the effects on the native-born? Does immigration affect native-born workers' employment rate or their average wages? So my research for a long time has tried to show that as immigrants are really employed in different type of job, do different type of task, their effect on wage and competition is smaller. Uh, and in particular, even in this economy, uh, if immigrants fill bottlenecks and niches which are experiencing shortages, because natives are not really filling those jobs, then the inflow of immigrants will not affect very much wages and employment of natives because we'll not be in direct competition uh, with them. On the other hand, having more immigrants to fill this bottleneck can ease the transition and the growth of an economy which may generate jobs elsewhere. Uh, in the last 10 years, as I said, uh, large part of immigrants have been college educated. They have increased a lot the supply of that group, but the wages and employment of the group has actually increased even for uh, natives. Uh, in recent research, in response to these COVID shortages of immigrants, we also showed that natives do not seem to move into those uh, locations and into those type of jobs uh, that are missing immigrants as a further confirmation that the jobs that they're doing are somewhat different. And so I do not think that the competition wage effect and employment effect uh, will be and are very strong. So in terms of uh, economic terminology, immigrants could be a complement, not a substitute for U.S. workers. Is that correct? Uh, that's exactly correct. Uh, so they will work together and they will provide some type of job and task that complement that they work with uh, rather than replace uh, or compete with natives. Giovanni, there's a lot of talk about immigration reform and Professor Jennifer Hunt of Rutgers 
has put forward some proposals in a recent report for the Brookings Institution. Are you familiar with her proposals? And if so, what do you think of them? Uh, yes, uh, um, I have read uh, Jenny's proposal and uh, uh, I find it very interesting. So uh, Jenny essentially proposes to uh, shift the move, the inflow of immigrants from more family-based to more employment-based and humanitarian. She argues that this will increase the inflow of high-skilled immigrants. And at the same time, she says that there are some areas in which the need for immigrants uh, should generate specific categories, like immigrants in healthcare. Uh, both low um, and medium-educated uh, immigrants could be employed there. And um, in some services uh, and in agriculture, in uh, uh, there, there is the need uh, for immigrants. And so there should be um, programs that allow immigrant in those uh, uh, sectors. Uh, I think overall, a system of immigration that is more based on employment needs on one hand and on humanitarian needs and response seem to me more efficient and also uh, founded on solid ethnic basis and uh, easier to support by citizen. Uh, in fact, in terms of family reunification immigrants, I would say that certainly we will need to guarantee family reunification to parents and minor children. That's the structure of the family that we give a lot of value to. But I don't see as a strong case to allow visa and entry for siblings parents, adult children. So I would reduce those type of uh, entries and visa and increase uh, employment and uh, humanitarians. In particular, I think some categories of immigrants have been extremely uh, valuable. Um, students who arrive in the US and then stay as worker, uh, they have had a very strong impact on, on the economy. And uh, uh, immigrant in some sector can be very important, healthcare, elderly care, personal assistance in agriculture. Also, I think we should do some provision to allow them there because they are um, extremely valuable. So finding legal ways to get immigrants in those areas will be extremely positive. Well, immigration reform is something that people have been talking about for a very long time. And I hope that your research and insights on this and work of people like Jenny Hunt helps move it forward with a rational basis instead of um, something based on fear or dislike for the outsider. So Giovanni, thank you very much for joining me today and providing your ideas and your insights on this really important issue. Thank you, Michael. It's been uh, my pleasure being with you. This has been Econofact Chats. To learn more about Econofact and to see the work on our site, you can log into www.econofact.org. Econofact is a publication of the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Thanks for listening.